Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney, with a great guest today, recommended from my good friend, Brian Walton at LinkedIn. Mr. Jesse Rothstein is a key account manager at LinkedIn and author of the new book, Carry That Quota. Jesse, how are you doing today? Hey, David. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to dive into this. Jesse, tell us this. You've been at LinkedIn, just wrote a book. How did you get into sales? How did you, you know, end up at LinkedIn and writing this book? Yeah. You know, I've been sort of a career sales professional, been in sales pretty much since I graduated college, but actually started informally in high school as part of my high school job when I worked for a family friend who ran an antique and jewelry business and kind of learned the sales fundamentals in that environment. But yeah, throughout my career, after graduating college, worked in a number of B2B sales roles, worked for some big companies like Procter & Gamble and Staples, also worked for some startups, a company called Upserve, also a company called Active Ion. And for the past seven plus years, I've been at LinkedIn within the sales solutions business, you know, selling, you know, SaaS software, B2B SaaS software. And the book, David, it's been a side project for the past five plus years. It's about the sales profession. It's something I've had on my mind for a while. And, you know, it's designed to help salespeople get better at the craft. And I wanted to put it together and provide perspective by someone who's still in the trenches each and every day. I love it. I love it. So I'm just reading, you know, a little bit about it. It Carry That Quota provides an insider's account of how to succeed in sales, drawing on more than 15 years of sales experience across multiple fields and continents. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and how to leverage that diverse set of tactics as the field evolves. I love this. So tell me, how did you, you know, think of putting the book together and how does it help you know, salespeople? Yeah, so what I would say initially when putting the book together, the whole idea and the whole concept started by really a conversation and a challenge, if you will, by a friend. And at the time, he was a customer. And I was working for LinkedIn overseas in our Sydney, Australia office. And my territory extended to New Zealand. And this particular person was based in Auckland. And we were having dinner one night and we were talking about the idea of legacy and the idea of creating something that would be around when, when you, know, you no longer are. He sort of asked me if I ever thought about writing a book about my experience in the sales profession. And that's where the sort of seed got planted, David. That's where I sort of got this bug in my head. And that enabled me to begin, you know, taking notes and writing and recording. And then over the you know, course of five plus years, I began, you know, outlining and putting the manuscript together. And, you know, just grinding away at this sort of passion project that I sort of did, you know, nights and weekends, you know, outside of my, my normal day job at LinkedIn. Yeah, see, that's interesting. So I want to dive in 
but you know the process as well the process of writing a book i mean it's 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 so daunting to people and they have a, a lot of expertise a lot of information a lot of experience but it's just crossing that chasm from taking all that and wanting to share it with the world to actually producing a book is just such a huge undertaking so how did you go about you know, that outlining process, grinding away, getting it edited, all that. Yeah. So I, I would say it was, you know, very similar to how I kind of treat a sales process as a seller. Time management was just such a critical element of how I worked on the book and how I kind of chipped away at the project. So, you know, not to get in too much detail, but I literally worked on the book every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 6.30 in the morning until 8 a.m. every week for five plus years. And sometimes that was at home. Sometimes that was at the office. Sometimes that was at, you know, a coffee shop. If I was traveling for work, I would do it at the hotel or, you know, at a, at a Starbucks or whatever. But yeah, at a minimum, I was allocating about three hours during the week to write and record and produce content. And then a lot of the research and a lot of the, you know, other work I sort of just did in open pockets that I had at night and sometimes on the weekend, but the majority of it was done before work on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Wow. So it's the same discipline that you probably put into your sales career, right? <laughs> that made you a successful salesperson. You, you have just applied to this project. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I had a mentor share with me years ago that if you want to do something that seems daunting or big, just realize that it's a lot of small things done well over time. And when those small things add up, they become big things over time. And that's kind of the mindset that I took with writing the book. And it's, it's also the mindset that I sort of take up as a salesperson. Yes. And so how did that integrate into the book itself? I mean, the wisdom shared in the book, let's go through, you know, what's the structure and how do you make the recommendations to salespeople reading it? Yeah. I mean, so the book itself, the book itself, Carry That Quota, Sales Tactics and Stories by the Rep, for the Rep, it's essentially broken down into like three main pillars. And there's a thesis and sort of this, this idea that I propose is that sales is a craft. And when it's done the right way, it's just a beautiful profession. And society often doesn't give it the accolades it deserves, but I think that it deserves and demands more respect. And that thesis is essentially supported by these three pillars. And, you know, whether it's a young, you know, salesperson or aspiring salesperson, or even a more experienced, you know, salesperson who's looking to kind of sharpen their blade, the three pillars, I think, have application. So one is, is sales right for me? And am I right for a career in sales? And through stories, we kind of go through the different things you need to be aware of and think about as it relates to the profession. Pillar number two is all about relationships. So client relationships, colleague relationships, your relationship with your manager, how to create, how to nurture, and how to grow relationships, depending on you know, where you're at in your career and, and also kind of what your main focused areas are. And then the third pillar is all what I would say are tools and tactics and tricks of the trade. So these are things that I've discovered over the past 15 plus years that are really, you know, tactical examples of things that work for me that may or may not work for people in sales, but they're sort of like the unwritten things that you don't necessarily always learn 
when you're in a sales role. And it's everything from you know, time management to the right types of materials you might need to be the most productive in your sales gig to other sort of tactical things as to how to think about maximizing your overall productivity as a salesperson. Excellent. Okay. So I want to dive in. I, I mean, that the last part is huge because there's so much information out there for salespeople. And it's sort of, it's like, how do you tell the signal from the noise to be able to sit down? And the value of a book is to be like, okay, here are, here's an entire pillar of tactics that I can try today to increase my sales. But I want to touch on the first pillar. So is sales right for me? And am I right for sales? I think that's, a, that's really interesting because especially on, in the sales development rep world, a lot of people are trying to figure that out right now. You know, they're, you know, new to the work world and, you know, being an SDR gives you options for a lot of different careers. So Tell us about, you know, what you go into there. And then also, I'm curious if you're sort of middle-aged or older, you know, more experienced in your sales career, what if you want to pivot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe to start thinking about that, that SDR kind of audience, you know, is sales right for me and am I right for sales? You know, I, I think that one of the things that we often don't talk enough about, but I, I think we need to as a result to like, do I want to be in this profession is, am I okay with myself? Am I comfortable in my own skin? And the reason I bring that up, David, is because you're going to get rejected a lot in this profession. Like you're going to hear no a lot. And in many cases, if you're not okay with yourself and you're not self-aware when you hear no a lot, it's going to be hard to you know, dust yourself off and pick yourself back up and go get after it again, which is a lot of what sales and life is about. So like self-awareness and knowing yourself is, is absolutely critical. The other thing is the idea of do you want to be a problem solver and a problem finder? Because I believe, you know, even if you're early in your career or quite honestly, if you've been selling for 15 or 20 plus years, really good salespeople know how to find problems at their clients and also know how to solve those problems, hopefully with the product or service that they're selling. And if you are curious and you kind of have these detective-like tendencies, I think that's a really good indication that you're going to be a good salesperson. Again, whether you're early in your career or, or, or even a little bit later in your career. So that's kind of my initial thought on that. Got it. Okay. So that, that this is really interesting. So are you okay in your own skin? I think that, you know, we, when we're coming up in the world, we spend a lot of time trying to avoid rejection. Like it's, it's, you're trying to please others and that's how you kind of get along in the world. If, if somebody says no, you know, as a kid, you know, no, no, don't do that. You know, the, it, it gets ingrained in your head that rejection is bad. But it's almost like if you're in the business world, that you flip it because you're going to hear rejection 90% of the time. So I think that's really interesting that people have to come into that with their eyes wide open. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I mean, you know, in most situations, we are programmed to think that hearing no or failing is really, really bad. And that is sort of like, what sales is like yeah. it's, it's it's sort of this like repeated ex- yeah this repeated yeah. exercise of hearing no 
or not the right time or not interested or your price is too high. And when you're programmed and, and to your point earlier, when you've grown up and been told that, you know, you're supposed to avoid that stuff, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard and it gets to you, you know, it gets to your your core, you know, you can, it's easy to spiral down into a negative slide. And so this will help you to calibrate that. But I like the other one is, are you curious about being a problem solver and finding problems and then being able to help people? Because I, I feel like a lot of the salespeople that I run into, they're just sort of going through the motions. It's a couple of quick questions at the beginning of the demo. And then let me take you through 32 slides and and then do you want to buy this? You know, it's not necessarily about solving problems. It's just showing you some stuff and getting to the next call. Yeah. Do you see that? I do. No, I do. And, and even, you know, we're talking obviously a lot about B2B sales today, but we're all consumers ourselves in our personal lives, you know, and whether we're buying something online for our, ourselves or for our families, you know, the minute you sort of engage with a salesperson, depending on who you're dealing with, you know, a lot of times you do get sort of that transactional type of vibe and unfortunately not so much a problem solving type of a mindset. Yeah. And it's tricky too, because if the prospects don't necessarily trust you at the beginning and you're trying to kind of dig and ask a bunch of questions, I don't know if anybody remembers Columbo. <laughs> Columbo. Yeah. yeah. Google, Google it because a lot of people probably know. But if you're, if you're kind of, you keep asking all these questions and then there's one more and there's one more, people, if they don't have that trust with you, then they get a little irritated. So it's almost finding the balance of the curiosity with kind of reading the room, I guess. That's right. That's right. But I do think, you know, the contrarian approach and the, overarching sort of idea as a salesperson or an SDR or going to the client with this sort of curiosity and not this assumption that whatever it is you're selling, they should be buying, I think helps build the trust earlier in the cycle. And I think when people realize that like, you're not going to, like you may actually not go into your sales pitch if you don't think that there's a fit. I think that that's a good characteristic and trait to build up as a seller, because let's face it, not everyone should be buying your product or service. You know, not every prospect is actually going to be a client just because they may not have the business need at that particular time. 100%. So it's coming in and going, hey, I'm here to solve a problem, whether that has anything to do with what I'm selling or not. I'm going to be here to support you, give you resources and hopefully help you. And then, you know, that's interesting because if you bring that attitude in, the next pillar that you talk about is relationships. And it seems like that blends into that really well, because if you come at things with the nature of being helpful and trying to connect the dots for people, you'll build those relationships. That's right. No, that's right. And those relationships will develop and, you know, hopefully the customer at that point will sort of say, wow, you know, this person is a, a shark. They understand my business and, you know, I might go to them with questions or seek their opinion on other things, even if they're not necessarily selling that product or service, but I trust them and know them well enough that they'll give me a straight answer and they know my business and they've taken the time to understand it. And then for me, I think that is where you as a salesperson can feel really good is when that prospect who has become a client knows you and trusts you so well that they will ask for your advice because they know that you're going to provide a straight answer based on 
how well you know their, their business. 100%. And especially for people newer to their career, if you can get this, I mean, this is so huge because when you think about relationships, if you're newer in your career, you're building relationships in the business community, you're building up your personal brand reputation, and, and you have a lot of time to build that up. So if you can come at that with the spirit of, I'm here to help, it may or may not be my product right now, but I'm here to help you succeed. It's, it's almost like the old Zig Ziglar saying of, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get anything that you want, you know, on right. the back end, that's sort of right. residual, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, a lot of it comes down, like when you're later in your career, it's who do you know and who can open doors for you because you've been adding value for so many years. It's not a microwave, you know, thing. It's, it's a longer term solution for those relationships. Really interesting. Okay. So now we get into the tactics. So, okay. So now you have, you've decided you're right for sales you built up this amazing network of relationships. What are some two or three things that they could potentially use in your toolbox that have helped you be successful, you know, from the book? Yes, I'd say first and foremost is having a system to manage your time, whether it's digital or whether it's, you know, hard copy, you know, being methodical and being very deliberate with where you spend your time both your, your work time as well as your personal time. You know, and again, I, I think that that is, time management, I think, is the single most important skill a salesperson can master. And I think if you don't have a system that, you have, that you've set up that works for you, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I don't know if it's a tool or a system, but, you know, that time management thing, I think, is number one. The second one, David, is a system with materials, whether they're, you know, digital or, or hard copy, but a system to capture the information you're intaking at meetings, as well as the action steps that are required as a follow-up to those meetings. I'm always baffled by, you know, salespeople who, you know, they show up to a meeting, you know, with, without a notebook, or, or they show up to a meeting you know, with like a random piece of paper and like they're going to scribble some notes down and then hopefully find that piece of paper later and then, you know, use it to, to follow up with what goes on. But the system of execution, you know, whether it's notebooks, whether it's a digital, you know, note-taking software, it doesn't get talked about enough, but I just think it's mission critical because how you digest information and then how you follow up with information that came from the meeting or call is just so important. And you got to have a system to, to manage that and document that. And then, you know, a third one, it's again, it, having technology or things that maximize your productivity that work for you. So like, for example, when you, and, and again, we're sort of in a virtual environment now with everything going on in the world, but like having a setup with your virtual home office that enables for maximum productivity. So whether that's a standalone monitor, whether that's a second screen, which might be, you know, an iPad or whether it's a special type of, you know, Bluetooth headphones or a laptop stand or an exterior keyboard or a special type of notebook with a pen. You know, I think the consistency of having a productivity workspace, you know, is just really, really important. I, I think everyone works differently, but 
if you yourself can design a space or an area where you are going to get the most done with your technology and with your materials, that's going to enable you to almost look forward to the work and look forward to like accomplishing things. And you got to do what works for you. It's so true. Oh, I love this. It's so funny because so we've got an extra bedroom that is dedicated to our home office. And I couldn't agree more. So we've got both of our kids in one room and they're getting bigger. They're, they're getting to the point where they need their own room, but neither my wife or I want to give this up because yeah. it's exactly what I feel completely different when I come in here versus working at the kitchen table or the, or the couch. You know, it's just, you have to be able to have that productivity set up to feel professional if you can. So I love that one question for you. So, and here's a little tip that everybody, if you're not using this, record your sales calls in Zoom, obviously, and then get them transcribed. And there's, there's transcribers online. There's one called Otter that you can just drop the thing into and it transcribes the whole thing and you go back and read it afterwards. I mean, it's amazing to pull out exactly what the client said, what they want, the nuances, etc. So I love that tip. I mean, I'm obsessed with the follow-up and making sure that we get that down. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then time management, you know, the first tip, so critical. What does that mean for you as far as a salesperson's time management? Like what, if I pulled up your calendar, what specifically are we talking about as far as time blocking holding yourself accountable, discipline, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think the the first thing that I would say is if you pulled out my calendar and you sort of saw it, there would be a couple of like very unique themes around this concept of self-care that is actually on the calendar. David, like literally is, you know, time throughout the day you know, no meetings, wellness time, or no meetings, thinking time, or like even, even time to exercise. And I think as a salesperson, if you, if you don't take the time to take care of yourself from like a, a physical well-being standpoint, you can't expect anyone else to do that for you. So that's one thing that I take very, very seriously. And I would encourage everyone to, to do that. And everyone obviously has different preferences as to how they care for themselves. But you know, whether it's exercise or, or, you know, doing things that are for you, I think that's extremely important. The other stuff is things that need to get done as a salesperson that often are not that glamorous, but they kind of have to get done in order to move the job and move the sales process forward. So reoccurring time blocks to prospect, reoccurring time blocks to plan your calendar, you know, for weeks or months on in the future. Those are some things you would see on my calendar. And then, you know, one, you know, small one, which again, most salespeople don't do it, but I, I think it's really important is prep for the meetings that are coming up, you know, later in your day or later in your week, and then also allocated time to follow up from the meetings you had, you know, earlier in the week or conversations you had in you know, the previous week. Very, very rare, very rare in business today that you finish a meeting and there's not some form of follow-up, albeit a thank you note, a proposal, a PDF of a whatever, whatever that you agreed to. I just think that having that on the calendar, time allocated every morning or every afternoon to follow up on the action deliverables that came from those meetings, just extremely important. If you don't allocate the time to do it, it'll probably never get done. 
hundred percent. And and then being a you know someone who has worked very hard on calendaring, disciplining, time management for twenty years. The other thing is when those things pop up on your calendar, the difference is, okay, you 50% there, you put it on your calendar. Now you have to actually do it, right? <laughs> that's the thing, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hold yourself accountable. And that's going to be the difference between whether you end up a Jesse Rothstein, who's number one, you know, on the leaderboard, I'm just assuming, but you know, is up there on the leaderboard. Depends or, on the year, David. Yeah, Depends exactly. <laughs> yeah, Don't hold me to it. But that's going to be the difference between going to President's Club, getting a pat on the back from the CEO, all those rewards that you're trying to do. If you're sitting there going, oh, man, why am I always on the bottom of the list? Like, I suck. And probably if you double clicked on it, it's you either haven't set up your time management system correctly on your calendar or when it pops up, you're not actually doing those unglamorous things that you have to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's, it's at all levels, right? It's like, you know, again, you know, and even at the sales leadership level, depending on how hands-on a sales leader wants to get, but some of the best sales leaders that I've ever worked for, they literally had calendar blocks on their calendar to help with prospecting, help provide referrals, help to take a look at their network as to how they can get us wider and deeper into their own accounts. You know, it, it's, if revenue production is part of your remit, your time should be allocated to things that are revenue production oriented. The statistics coming from, you know, the corporate executive board or Gartner and, and all, you know, the folks who do the studies, you know, the statistics don't favor salespeople, right? I mean, I think the latest one is, Salespeople only spend about 30% of their time actually selling. The rest of the time is actually bogged down with administrative work that's non-revenue producing activity. And it's harder, it's becoming harder to manage and allocate that time that you need to use for sales-oriented activities just because there's so many administrative asks that companies are asking their salespeople to do, which, you know, again, is every company is different, but I think the companies that realize that their salespeople should be spending their time selling are the ones who are you know, obviously you know, going to get ahead because you don't want to box salespeople down. 100%. And, and so I'm curious, like if you're in a corporate environment, you know, there's all these expectations that you're doing all these different things, like going to meetings and, and you know, it's Janie's birthday party. And you know, the, I mean, that was back when we were at the office, but there's a lot of demands, you know, and if you're really focused on this, how do you defend your calendar and just be like, look, I mean, I want to go from 30% to 40%, but you're asking me to attend some meeting, right? How do you defend yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the fact David, that you use the word defend because that's exactly what you need to do with your calendar. And what I say defend, I, I literally mean defend. So have blocks on your calendar where you know you need the time to get the selling work done, the prospecting work done, the follow-up work done, and have people have to ask you or have to make you make decisions about if you can attend. And then maybe you prioritize and just become a little bit more ruthless with you know, what you need to do and where you need to be. I mean, you want to be a supportive colleague and you do want to attend the things that are, that are you know, important to your, your colleagues and your friends. But at the same time, you've also got to realize that you know, you've got to deliver your day job and you know, you're not going to make your number 
by attending every internal meeting and saying yes to every single ask. It's just not going to happen. And if you do attend every single meeting and you know say yes to all those calendar invites, you're probably going to have to work at non-work hours, which you know, I, don't, I don't know about you and others, but like I really value the time with my family and I really value the time when I'm not working. And like I don't want to spend my evenings or weekends having to do work that I couldn't do because my selling time was eaten up by something that wasn't relevant. 100%. And so I just want to make it clear. So the, the basic motions of the salesperson, let's just say a B2B inside salesperson and add or subtract, there's prospecting, there's running calls, there's prepping for calls, and then there's follow-up. And then that's above the line. Like if you do all those four things all day, every day, you're probably going to make your number, Right. And then everything below the line is like filling in the CRM, updating your pipeline, going to meetings, administrative HR tasks, stuff like that. I mean, those are the things that you should defend against. What am I missing? So I think one, I would say like, there's a lot of things that that are out of your control that are going to determine whether you make or don't make your number. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, prescribe and tell people like you do those things and you're good and you hit your yeah. number. I mean, every, every, uh, <laughs> Every year is What's different. In your control versus outside yeah. Your control. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly, exactly. I think the thing that I would add to that is just this ongoing insatiable curiosity about your client and your prospect and the industries that they are involved in. And what I mean by that, David, is like I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to like the news and what's going on and, you know, reading newspapers and staying abreast as, as to what's going on in industries. But like, I think really not just salespeople, but I think really good business people are just infinitely curious. They're just, Oh, I, I had no idea that that company was thinking about getting involved in, in that. And, you know, tell me more about, you know, this particular industry. And that's an article that I saw in the paper and I don't know anything about that, but I, I'll learn. That I think is something that you, you're not necessarily like, there's no playbook for it. It's just like this inherent like mindset of whatever the topic, whatever the industry, if my client may be involved in it, I should probably know about it because the more informed I am as a business person, the better I'll be at finding and problem and solving problems for my client. And I just think that it's curiosity is just, it's, it's so important in life and at work. And I think that's something I'd add to every sort of salesperson's mindset. The minute you stop becoming curious, you might as well just mail it in because so much of li- life is just more, more fulfilling when you're curious. hundred percent. And so, you know, on like those big four, right? There's the prospecting, running the calls, call prep and follow up where does the curiosity fit in? Are you actually like, do you put like an hour a day of research on your industry? Because I completely agree. Like if you walk into something about, you know, your industry, you walk into a call and you don't know anything about the industry and you're just kind of a dumbass and you're not asking any questions, then you're going to fail, right? So all that prep work is for nothing because you didn't do enough research. You're not curious. So is that something that you actually put on your calendar or is it whenever you get a chance? Yeah, so the, the prep work for the account or for the meeting or for the call, that would definitely be on the calendar. 
The curiosity piece is sort of for me, and my recommendation would be, you know, reading the newspapers that are what I consider to be like the business newspapers of record in the place or city or country where you live. So, you know, I'm not saying you got to read every newspaper cover to cover every single day, but you know, in the morning when you're, when you're having your coffee or when you're having your breakfast or when you're kind of getting ready for the day, you know, take 20 or 30 minutes and peruse, you know, what's happening in, in the Wall Street Journal or what's happening in the Financial Times. And, you know, depending on where you live and whatnot, they're going to be a little bit different. But, you know, being able to speak with some type of thoughtfulness about what's going on in the world and having you know, that be a part of your, your day-to-day. And if you're not a big reader, you know, maybe you're listening to podcasts. Maybe you're you know, subscribing you know, to, to some stuff that, that is of relevance. But yeah, just this kind of daily cadence of I'm going to be informed. Because I, I will tell you, you know, I get concerned when I'm in business meetings and stuff comes up that I would argue is very like modern world basic knowledge type stuff and people don't know about it. It just leads me to believe that, that they may or may not be curious. And if they're not curious, to me, that's a flag as a salesperson. Mm, okay. That's a good, good tip for interviewing salespeople or SDRs. That's right. <laughs> for people, that's right. you know, can you dig that out? God, you know, Jesse, there's so much here. Guys and gals on the call, read the book, get the book. I mean, this is an amazing amount of material for anyone, whether you're a new salesperson or, or mid-career or you know an entrepreneur who's having to sell for the first time. It's power-packed. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. How do we connect with you? Obviously, LinkedIn. How do we get the book? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for, for having me on the podcast. Book is available on Amazon globally, also available in audio version on Audible other online channels as well. But I'd say the primary way to get it is on Amazon or on Audible. I'm obviously on LinkedIn, also on Twitter. I've got sort of a blog going on Substack as well, where I do a newsletter and and get some content out that way. But um, very, very easy to find and, and say the primary way would either be on LinkedIn or Twitter. Perfect. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your knowledge. And we'll see you again real soon on the Sales Development Podcast. Thanks, David. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.